0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Litigation Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scribben-Young. I'm a commercial environmental litigator in the Chicago office of Picard and Abramson, and we're so glad to be in person in Miami for the Section of Litigation annual conference in Miami Beach. And with me is my terrific co-host, Latasha Ellis. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Dave?
0: I'm doing great. It's so great to actually meet you in person. Typically, we do all of these episodes and your tip segments uh, by Zoom, so it's really great to see you in person.
1: Yes, I'm excited to finally get to see you in person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you had a terrific panel earlier this morning called ransomware and cybersecurity attacks advising clients litigating liability and maximizing insurance coverage which i i mean I, as i told you earlier i think it was probably the most fun that i've had at a CLE and i think that you know says something so it was a great panel you had on a, um, someone who was in-house, a couple folks from the insurance industry. Uh, you're a litigator and just, just curious as to you know, how cybersecurity and data breaches kind of go into what you do on a day-to-day practice.
1: Sure. So in my day-to-day practice, I am an insurance recovery attorney. So I represent commercial policyholders who are trying to recover their monies from insurance companies. And that can take many different forms. It can be something from, you know, a, a hurricane loss, since we're in Florida, <laughs> a hurricane loss, and maybe there's a dispute about what should be covered and what isn't covered. Um, it can be a shareholder's derivative lawsuit and um, representing, um, you know, the company and or directors and officers who are trying to obtain defense and indemnity coverage from their directors and officers insurance policy. Um, but more Increasingly, I would say over the past few years, it's been a lot of cyber insurance. um, And it's, you know, policyholders trying to recover money from insurance companies related to cyber incidents. And whether that's just an inadvertent disclosure of information, maybe it was like employee information that was inadvertently posted on the SharePoint site, and, you know, maybe the employees weren't happy about that. Or it could be, you know, a ransomware attack, or it could be some sort of allegation of privacy. And so it's it's really become increasingly more common and popular, cybercrime is probably increased almost twofold since the pandemic um, because we were all working remotely and maybe some businesses um, had their guard down a little bit or maybe weren't prepared and so some bad actors took advantage of that. So, because it's become you know so much more common, you know I think it's just important for everyone, um, especially uh, attorneys, to understand that because sometimes you may be like the first line of defense for your client. Um, and, you know, we never want to tell clients that we don't know something. It's always at least good to be able to refer them to someone who will be able to assist them.
0: Well, and and totally, you know, you uh, this is your practice at Hunt Andrews Kurth and uh, Washington, D.C. And what I took away from the presentation was uh, something that Joan Archer mentioned. She was uh, the in-house person. She said, if you want to be that trusted advisor to companies, then you really have to know kind of issues outside of the box. And one of those issues was cybersecurity. And the statistics that they showed were amazing in that how long it takes to clean up a data breach, how much money um, it costs companies And it was just really interesting to me. And it was interesting to hear your expertise on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it is so expensive. Um, and a lot of that expense is because the business is shut down. So it's that, it's the legal counsel that you need with the breach response counsel to help you determine, you know, who should we notify? What do we do? What do the laws say? Um, especially if it's a publicly traded company, um, because then you get into issues where, you know, the government has to take a look at what happened and, you know, how many people were impacted. Um, and so there may be a government investigation, potentially Fees and penalties associated with that. Um, sometimes the shareholders can bring these third-party lawsuits and say, hey, you told us in your you know, 10K that you were mitigated. I mean, we were mitigating against cyber attacks and things of that nature. So it, it's so many levels to it. And it's so interesting because maybe about four years ago, I just kind of started dabbling in this because we had a lot of clients who were asking us to help them understand their insurance policy. And that's another thing that I do on my team, we help try to get in front of these sorts of things. And when corporations are renewing their insurance policies, we um, work with their broker and kind of explain the coverage that would probably meet their business needs, you know, provide advice and counsel about whether there may be gaps between their cyber policy, their other policies, and maybe how they can have more robust coverage. So we do try to get in front of it. But just probably, like I said, over the past four years, in addition to that advice and counsel now, there's a lot more disputes between policyholders and insurance companies because it is, you know, and I'm kind of using air quotes here, it's like new and there's, you know, some Disagreement about you know what policy language means. You know if there has to be. I think one of the most contentious is the direct and directly provision that says that you know your loss has to be directly attributed to this cyber event. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that if an employee you know inadvertently clicks on an email, then they become an intervening event. and so now there's no coverage, or does that mean you know something else? so it's it's a really fascinating time to you know be working in cyber.
0: I hadn't really even known that there was such a thing as cyber insurance, and that uh, I'm sure it's a lot of companies and perhaps lawyers don't know that. For for those of us who are unaware, what things are covered by cyber insurance?
1: Sure. So, um, it's there's what we call first party coverage, and that would be things that would impact the policyholder. So that could be business interruption. You know, your business was shut down because someone hacked our systems, um, or maybe we shut our system down to prevent the inadvertent disclosure because we got some ransomware note or something. You know, that that's lost profits because we're we can't operate our business. So there's coverage for that. There's coverage for, um, you know, any sort of network failure because someone, um, you know, impacted your system, a, a bad actor, I'll say, and it shut your systems down. So there's coverage for, you know, the, the restoration of data, things of that nature. Um, there's coverage for reputational harm. You know, a lot of the publicly traded companies, you know, if you find out, for example, that, you know, maybe your internet provider or, you know, a hotel that you stayed. in, or something was, you know, experienced a breach attack, then, you know, you you become concerned. And so, you know, there's coverage to hire a PR firm to help them deliver that message to those who are impacted. And then there's also coverage for, like, cyber extortion or ransomware. So that's, like, first-party coverage. It impacts, like, the policyholder. But then there's also third-party coverage because, as I said, a lot of times, you know, in addition to having to actually manage the incident, you've now, you know, potentially impacted a ton of third parties, whether that's your employees, your clients, or vendors, and you may have caused them some sort of injury or or damage, so to speak. So sometimes it could be allegations of mental anguish or distress because, you know, now my data's floating out there on the internet and I don't know who has it, who's going to steal my identity or, you know, I don't know. Or it could be, um, as I mentioned, it could be the government regulators and they're taking a hard look and now they've you know, engaged in this investigation and you have to hire, you know, defense counsel to help you get through that. And so there's coverage for things like that, the defense counsel to help you get through the investigation. Um, And then there's a number of other like what we call hybrid coverages that would be, you know, if you have to get like a call center or offer some sort of identity theft because, you know, people have been impacted, there's coverage for that. There's coverage for any sort of like extra expenses that you've incurred um, trying to mitigate the loss. So, I mean, there's some, it's pretty robust coverage. And as I mentioned, it can be very expensive to experience a data breach. You know, if you have, millions of customers who are impacted. I think the last I checked, it was the average cost per record was like $180 per record if there was personal information involved. So if you have $180 and you're multiplying it by like a million people, you know, you have to notify all of those people. You have to, uh, you know, potentially, like I said, provide identity theft, credit monitoring, having some sort of call center up and running. It can be expensive. And then meanwhile, you have your lawyers who are working with the government, potentially trying to make sure that you are, you know, in compliance and you're following state regulations, you're following federal guidelines. If you do business that maybe impacts some of the EU laws, you you know, foreign law, <laughs> privacy and data laws get impacted. It's so many levels. And a lot of the expenses are the legal costs and just the business interruption. So it's, it's nice to have that coverage and know that you're not coming out of pocket for all of that.
0: Yeah. And I was really surprised at the level of sophistication that um you and your and your panelists talked about in terms of the bad actors that it's things like nation states and organized crime like if i thought about cyber crimes i was thinking of i don't know just like hackers and just anonymous people but it's actually very sophisticated entities that attack corporations and law firms for that matter
1: yeah um it's and i think that it's gotten over the past probably five to six years, they've just become so much more sophisticated, which we talked about on the panel, you know, so much so that it's very inexpensive for someone to be in the job of a bad actor or a hacker. And it's just, it's almost like a, a game of the dozens, you know, where it's, they'll just target a number of companies and see, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna catch the bait and who's gonna help them get into someone's system. So it's that. But it's also, too, a lot of it sometimes can be prevented by employees. And they may do this at your firm, you know, where they have like phishing exercises. And maybe it's like some sort of email and you're like reading it and you're like, I don't know if that's from the managing partner or or if this is a trick. So just those types of exercises are some of the things that companies put into place to try to educate employees because it really just takes one employee to click on the bad link. And now, you know, the bad actor has access potentially to your entire law firm's information. But if we can continue to educate um, employees, then, you know, that that number of data breaches will decrease significantly.
0: Well, let me ask you a little bit about the Insurance Coverage Litigation Committee, because I'm always impressed at how organized you guys are. You guys have your your big dinner at at every conference, and of course you have your big ICLC conference every year. So as a younger lawyer, I'm just curious, what benefit do you find being a member of the litigation section and and as well a member of the um, Insurance Coverage Litigation Committee?
1: Uh, so I've actually been involved in the ABA section of litigation since I was a 1L. I was part of the GIOP program, which is the Judicial Intern Opportunity Program, and I interned with the federal judge. Um, and so I just kept my membership after that. I was Um, Once I got into practice, I was a little involved in YLD, the Young Lawyers Division. But then I came over to the section of litigation because I really wanted to kind of hone my practice a bit. And it seemed like it was a lot of seasoned (laughs) attorneys. In the section of litigation, um, who were eager to have, you know, young attorneys be a part of the section. So I participated in the Young Lawyer Leadership Program, YLLP. And when I was in that program, I got the opportunity to be in leadership in the section of litigation and to, in some respects, rotate and kind of visit the different committees. I feel like I kind of found my home with the Insurance Coverage Litigation Committee because I do insurance and I didn't even know that there was a committee for insurance. But it's really cool because, you know, I represent policyholders. Some of the other members, you know, they represent insurance companies. And so being able to have friendship and that brain trust with people on the other side, uh, that can always be helpful as a young litigator to understand what may, you know, what may work, what may not work. It's also great because sometimes In my cases, I'm on the other side of someone that I know from the ABA. And so I think that that can, in some respects, be beneficial to my client because we can try to come to some sort of amicable resolution, you know, short of litigation. So, in addition to that, I mean, you know, I'm here at this section annual conference and I'm speaking on a panel. And, you know, I would consider myself a a pretty young attorney. And so just the opportunity to do you know speaking on a panel to you know be part of the podcast and to you know just even write articles and blog posts for the section I think that that has helped tremendously with my practice and helped me kind of stay on my toes to make sure that I'm up to date with things so I am the biggest proponent of being involved and engaged in ABA and I'll Obviously, plug the section of litigation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know, thank you so much for being an integral part of what we do on the podcast. And certainly, you know, thank you for being uh, a great volunteer and member of the section. Sure. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. That's all we have for the show. Um, I'd like to uh, thank a couple of people, of course, Latasha Ellis, as well as uh, Michelle Oberts, who really helped us out in getting um, our room set up for today, and, and of course, all of her efforts with the podcast. And I also would like to thank Lawrence Galetti and his audio professionals at Legal Talk Network. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.